Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Landlord and Tenant Podmess, the only podcast that has the balls to ask the question, can a landlord and tenant be buddies? Hi, everybody. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Landlord James. And I'm your other co-host. My name is Tenant Michael. And um, no, you're not. Your, your device is not malfunctioning. No, you're not having an aneurysm. I was just doing a sort of funny um, voice. I was imagining a character from the the British Isles, I guess. Very well-developed character. Um, And to be fair, we don't know that the people aren't having an aneurysm, but... uh, (laughs) I mean, we don't know for sure. We don't know who's listening to this and when. You could be listening to this 50 years from now. I do know. know, We A sizable portion of our listenership are... 78 plus so mm-hmm. there is a chance there's a strong chance actually that um someone every episode is having an aneurysm while while listening very good point um so we're back we had a bit of a weird episode last week weird alert um, okay um we were hacked flat out yeah People don't, you know, that's the thing. People don't want us getting our message out. The mainstream media doesn't want us getting our message out. Do you honestly think, Mike, that the CBC and CTV and Global uh, want the opinions being expressed on this podcast getting out to the to the public? Hell no. No. You know, the things we say on this show, me from the left and you from the, the extreme far right, um, <laughs> they, if, if, they, if enough people heard them, there'd be chaos in the darn streets. And last week... We had a whole interview scheduled to go. We had it recorded, and then some of the audio went missing. And you got to figure who's behind it. We're pointing our finger at Russia. We're pointing our finger at you know the Balkans. Uh, those hackers, they don't mess around. Well, for me, you know what? It really reminds me of how, like, oh, how convenient. Oh, we just find all these votes uh, for Joe Biden just in a trunk somewhere or in the boot of our car. Well, I'm feeling like that, too, about the podcast because, oh, how convenient. In the episode where I really let loose and really told you how I feel, I give you all my thoughts on carbon and how we're actually not putting enough of it into the atmosphere. Um, How interesting that that episode gets hacked and gets shortened by quite a bit. Yeah. Is wild. It's been a good week for um, right-wing uh, comedians who are making <laughs> sketches where they're uh, pretending that they're counting votes in Nevada or Pennsylvania, and the joke is that they're like just throwing the votes away for Trump and and making up votes for uh, for Biden. Now, they're I very have, funny. Yeah, I, I I haven't seen that. Is that a, that's a thing on you've seen on the internet, huh? It's a new genre of comedy sketch. That are we talking um, about the Hodge twins? Uh, I haven't actually seen them do this, but I, I can imagine they'll do a, a, a stunning take on this, uh, you know, this concept. Those two hot uh, Republican twins must be f- pissed uh, this week, huh? Yeah, I hear that they're, they've... Yeah. yeah. Just, Everybody, you know, it pisses me off. Everybody always says there aren't conservative celebrities and comedians. Um, Hi, the Hodge twins? Exactly. Have you watched the Hodge twins? It's, you know, like... People don't realize it at the time, but we're going to look back at them and be like, yeah, that's Seinfeld for 2020. That's like Friends, The Office, wrapped into one brother-brother combo. I'm going to go a step further and say that they should do... You know, all these shows are being uh, rebooted, right? Mm. From the 80s and 90s. I think (laughs) that they should do a 
reboot of Seinfeld starring the Hodge twins as two of the main uh, characters in, yeah. in the show. Like like Jerry the Jerry and George. And George. Character. Yeah. So it yeah, would be that'd be fun. I would say I don't know how you feel, but I think that Jerry should be played by Kevin Hodge. And maybe George Costanza can be played by Keith Hodge. Do you think that's a fair sort of casting decision? Oh, uh, you know what? I see Keith as a Jerry. I, th- right. I think Keith Keith has that, you know, uh, that wit. <laughs> that, what's the other guy's name? Kevin? Oh, yeah, Kevin and Keith, yeah. That yeah. Kevin just, Kevin's more of a schmuck, you know? Kevin is the guy going, <laughs> do I have shrinkage, you know? Keith, to me, is the wry, ironic mm. wit guy. It'll be nice to see a Seinfeld for the 21st century where, you know, you look at the old Seinfeld, is it funny? Yes. But are George and Jerry kind of wieners? Yes. Whereas Mm. when you have, what are their names again? Kevin and Keith Hodge, the Hodge twins, playing Jerry and George. These guys are buff. They're big. You're not ever afraid that, you know, a gust of wind is going to blow them out of the apartment onto the streets of, of New York, you know? You're 100% right. Also, we do know that Kelsey Grammer is a conservative comic. Yes. I'm surprised he hasn't hooked up with these guys. He could play Kramer. Mm. What's that? Oh, he could be Kramer. (laughs) That's a great idea. Kelsey Grammer as conservative Kramer. Yeah. And you know who Elaine would be? Uh, Elizabeth from The View. Well, she'd be great, but how about this? Roseanne Barr. Oh, wow. This is good. Right? Wow. So so for Fra- so for Kramer, Kelsey Grammer would bust into the apartment and be like, <laughs> Jerry, did you read the news about, uh, you know, uh, pronouns, that the new pronouns they want us to say? That wasn't a good Frasier, but you get the oh. idea. It was great. I really loved it. Um, yeah, and it's funny. And then the Hodge twins, they would, of course, not be having any of this stuff because they're, mm. they're very far to the right, and they, don't, they, they have no time for PC, you know, bull, bull roar, let's say. You can, I mean, bull, you can say bull S, Michael. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, boy, that was fun. All the ideas we come up with on this opening uh, segment, off the top of our damn heads, we're giving away ideas for free. Yeah, I know people are listening. I know people listen to this on from CTV. I know people listen to this yeah. from probably in the states too, HBO, etc. People at the you BBC know. listen. You know, across the pond. Yeah. Um, before we ah, leave, this that's a good idea. line, Michael. Across the pond. Yeah, I I didn't make it up. Um, yeah. Like an ocean is a pond. <laughs> Before we uh, leave the Seinfeld reboot behind, can I just make one more casting suggestion? Aye, aye. Do you know the character Newman? Um, I believe I do, yes. From Jurassic Park. He's from Newman is from Jurassic Park. Wayne Knight. He, he moved from Jurassic Park to New York to take right. the job as a mailman. Oh, right, because it's the same universe, right? Yes. The Jurassic Park and Seinfeld are in the same cinematic universe. Right. That's why half the season of Seinfeld would be in Manhattan, half the season would be at Jurassic in, Park. And, right, yeah. at an island off the coast of Ecuador. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, we're making this uh, conservative reboot of Seinfeld. We need a Newman. We need him. He's an integral part of the show. I have yeah. two pitches to play Newman. Number one, James Woods. <laughs> 
right? I love he's, it. He's got that kind of fun, like you love sort to hate of, him, right? Yeah. Hi, Jerry. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm James Woods. Yeah, yeah. And he's got that that famous comic timing of his, mm-hmm. and uh, John Voight. Mm. He might be a little older than we imagine Newman to be, but I think you know he's got he's got the acting chops. No one can deny that. How about this? Do you remember the episode of Seinfeld where they Jerry thought he had bought? No, no, sorry, George <laughs> thought he had bought John Voight's car. Yes, remember that. So it's okay. already he's already in the universe. Exactly. Here's my twist: we bring back we bring back John Voight's car, Knight Rider style. John Voight voices the car, speaking to the Hodge twin. You know, to the to the Hodge twins as Jerry and George. He gives them advice on how to resist the bullshit the media is spewing to us. Uh, on behalf of the Democratic Party. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The car yeah. can, can explain this whole situation going on right now and how the media is claiming that Trump has won the election when it's not decided by the media. I'm sorry. It is decided by the courts. Right. And he'd be like, after telling them about like um, politics, he'd be like, also, my daughter doesn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> and he'd also, tell these things beautiful to beautiful Kevin- daughter doesn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> you know, Billy Bob used to be my son-in-law. Honk. <laughs> Yeah. Now that would be a Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh Seinfeld. We just did it. That's Seinfeld. <laughs> you know, I had as a kid the book Sign Language. James, this is our 171st episode and you've never revealed this detail from your childhood. I did. I did. Um I don't remember it too well, but uh, <laughs> it was a classic cover of Jerry kind of with a hand on his face and a black turtleneck kind of looking to camera. Mm-hmm. You know, a classic comedian book that's not really a book. Was Were there full chapters or was it just like one-liners sort of put together to look like a book? I, um, I think it was like his stand-up fleshed out to somehow read his observations and chapters, but... Right. Um, was there a full chapter on cereal or Superman? <laughs> Honestly, it's possible. There was a good long chapter on um, uh, dating uh, girls in high school. <laughs> sort of a lot of tips on what cartoons are popular at the time. Um, what time school lets out, where to yeah, park. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, age of consent across the United States, each state. That was the what's appendix, the, actually, was different states' age of consent. What's the deal with age of consent laws in <laughs> California? <laughs> it's too high. Oh, God. Well, here's a question. Because reading this book, as a kid, do you have any like memory of reading the book Seinfeld and actually reading silently and going... <laughs> bursting out laughing? No. Truth be told, the only memory I have of it genuinely is reading it on the toilet it was behind the toilet that i used you okay. know on the toilet in the little thing where you put books sometimes there was right. there was seinfeld and uncle john's bathroom reader right something for every every taste oh yes do be, they don't still do that do they the uncle john's bathroom reader i think they still do i think it's a guaranteed money maker it's like it's like how oh, the simpsons yeah. is still on we just don't know anymore right that's right. Yeah, probably the people putting out Uncle John's. It's like printing money. Yeah. You got to get one every year. They're billionaires. I remember as, as like a t- nine 
or 10-year-old taking out Bill Cosby's book, Fatherhood, from the library and reading a book about how annoying and um, amazing it is to be a new father when I was nine years old in (laughs) Calgary, Alberta. (laughs) This was before his fall from grace, obviously. Well, you know what, Mike? You know... You who you you could have been a father at that age. Maybe you, subconsciously you were ready. I was an early bloomer. Let's just put it that way. Mm. You know. Um. Now, uh, before we uh, we we take a break, we should uh, we should talk about. Um, you wanted to talk, I guess, about the fact that it is uh, it's Rem- Remembrance Day here. In That's Canada. right. Here in Canada, it's Remembrance Day, November eleventh, and you know. Call us old-fashioned. Not a lot of pods are going to, you know, take a moment to to salute all the great wars we've had um, on this earth. But we are a little bit different, sir, and we are going to take a break. And both James and I have prepared some little uh, performances, I guess, to commemorate Remembrance Day 2020. Um, I, this might shock you, James, but I actually composed a little Rem- Remembrance Day rap. What? I yeah. I, I didn't know you were making a rap. Yeah, you probably thought I was writing a sonnet or something, uh, you know, old fashioned. But no, I actually sat down, like Eminem oh, in the movie God. Eight Mile, and I, you know, got my notebook out and I composed a little rap. Of course, it's not as oh, dirty or violent man. as an Eminem song. Oh my God! And I don't talk about my mom or my or killing my wife or you know that kind of thing. Mike, this one, I mean, no offense. I know you mean well, but I really yes. don't think you should be rapping. I actually period. disagree 100%, and I think that I, I should be rapping, uh, especially Ugh. to commemorate Remembrance Day, because not a lot of people, not a lot of young people seem to know about it anymore. So this is your plan to get young people into thinking Remembrance Day is cool. Absolutely. And uh, I actually, this rap isn't just a, a regular rap. I wrote a rap from the point of view of a poppy. Which is the the flower that we wear on Remembrance Day to remember those who served and and um, you know fought in all the 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 big wars and killed all of the enemies. And my, do you want? Can I go first? Can I read my rap? Can I do it? I guess so. I mean, if okay. you want to. So here's my Remembrance Day rap. Uh, it's called "I Love It When You Call Me Big Poppy." And, uh, you know, keen rap fans will know that that's a reference to a great uh, rap song. So here I go. I'm red and I'm round and I grow in the ground. Pick me, daddy. Pick me, son. Pin me to your sweet bosom. But please be careful as you do, for I'm sharp and could poke you. Millions of boys went off to war. What the heck were they fighting for? The dust has settled, and now it's clear. They fought so we could podcast here. Lest we forget, y'all. Okay, so... End of rap. So that's your rap, huh? Yes, it's called I Love It When You Call Me Big Poppy. Oh my god, man. So it's from the point of view of a poppy. It's a little surreal. Yeah. It's like one of those it's like a Salvador Dali painting where everything's melting and you don't like you don't know quite mm-hmm. what's going on, but you're just sort of stunned by, uh, by it. Definitely you know? don't know quite what's going on, yeah. Right. Mike, have you ever heard of the band DC Talk? <laughs> um are they a new group? Are they uh No, they're 
they're a group from the uh, 80s and 90s. Maybe you should check out. You might like. Okay, I'll, I'll have to Google them. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, oh, right. So, right. So I, I was supposed to have uh, something yeah. too, right? Yeah, we, we talked about this last week when we were planning. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. This no, episode. No. You have something, right? You wrote something? Yeah, yeah. Yep. To commemorate Remembrance Day. Okay. I do. I do. I do. Yeah. I wrote uh, a little thing, just a little sort of speech or a uh, little, uh, what would you call it? A little poem. Don't, uh, don't be thing. modest. Don't be modest. You put some work into it. You know. I did. I did. Okay. Well, um, all right. Should I just go? Whenever you're ready. I don't want to rush you, but, you know, have some, take a deep breath, take a drink of water if you need to, and just believe in yourself because, uh, I'm sure it's coming from the heart, and that's good. All right. Here we go. If I was on that plane with my kids, it wouldn't have went down like it did. There would have been a lot of blood in that first-class cabin, and then me saying, Okay, we're going to land somewhere safely. Don't worry. So. Huh. Well done. Well done, friend. Very, uh, very touching. Very intense. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, it's from the heart. And, <coughs> yeah. you know, I just wanted to be do honor to people. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's really good. Um, uh, by the way, could I, um, unrelated, could I just, um, do you have your driver's license on you, James? My driver's license? Yeah. Would you yeah. mind if you have it on? Can I, can I see your driver's license just for a second, maybe? Sure. Here you go. Sorry, I don't mean to be weird. I um, no, no, no. Do you have, right. If you have it, I'd love to see it. It's just that I want to make sure that um, the name on your driver's license is uh, the name of the guy who wrote that speech you just gave. Because uh, the guy who wrote that speech is his name is actually uh, Mark Wahlberg, not James Hartnett. Fine, okay, fine. I forgot to do a stupid Remembrance Day poem. No one wants to hear us do a poem anyway. Jesus. So I, yeah, Christ. I forgot. So I googled what Mark Wahlberg said about 9-11, and I said it, okay? James, this is the lowest thing anyone has ever done on a podcast. Passing off Mark Wahlberg's thoughts on how he was better than all the passengers on Flight 93? You're passing those words off as your own? You know what? I bet my recreation of Mark Wahlberg's words is a better honor than your stupid rap. Uh, we'll leave that up to the listeners to determine. We will. But because I, I bet, I bet they would say, hey, you know what? Sure, he was using someone else's words, but there's a lot better than, you know, you rapping. Here's my, I, I swear to God, if the listeners get back to us and say they liked your plagiarism of Mark Wahlberg's words better than my rap, I'll kill myself. Okay, you're on. You're on. <laughs> I'll do. Okay, we're on. Shake. It's a bet. It's okay. a bet. All right. We, we've each got something at stake here. It's a bet. So, listeners, let us know. Uh, we're on Twitter at LT Podmess and Instagram mm-hmm. at LT Podmess. I guess well, Bin Laden and the 9 11 terrorists were, I mean, obviously they were bad guys. Let's be clear about that. Absolutely. Um, but I just, I, I've never associated that Mark Wahlberg speech with uh, Remembrance Day. What, before. Flanders Fields? I wouldn't be, you know, Mike, the way things are going, I wouldn't be surprised if that kind of replaced Flanders Fields as the Remembrance Day, you know, hit. In Flanders Fields, the poppies 
blow between the crosses row by row versus if I'd been on that plane, there would have been a lot of blood up there. <laughs> <laughs> or it could have been a mashup. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow. If I had been on that plane, things Imagine would have gone pretty differently. If if there had been a sort of like slam poetry uh, competition between Mark Wahlberg and uh, John McRae, who wrote in Flanders Fields, I, th- I guess I have to admit Mark Wahlberg would have won with that 9/11 um mm. speech. You know what I mean? What what a what a wild take too on 9/11. I think that's that is very respectful to all the people who were on those planes <laughs> to point out that had you been on it it wouldn't have crashed because you would have taken care of it in a way that those people didn't. Yeah. It's very nice of him to have done that. And pretty I'm pretty classy, you know, to sort of point out, "Hey, you know, do you, think you guys sort of failed? Yeah. Well, um, before we end the segment, Mike, we should mention that we do have a Patreon. We have a Patreon. It's not you're not lying, James. Ah. You're right, and uh, you can find it at Patreon.com. Fuck, I always forget this. It's There's something Patreon. wrong Patreon.com/slash Landlord Tenant. Uh, why do the name I of our show? The name of our show. I know. Anyway, uh, please check it out. Uh, you'll get a bonus episode if you subscribe. And even if you don't subscribe, thank you very much for listening. If you could rate and review us, um, we're grateful. And if you do subscribe, we're grateful too. Damn grateful. Mm-hmm. We're damn grateful. We damn love you. And um, we, uh, we really do appreciate it. All right. Well, um, why don't we take a quick break and come back with our guest? <laughs> Okay, and welcome back to the show, everybody. This is going to be a good one. Our guest this week is a prolific tweeter, a political agitator, and a walking, talking encyclopedia of pop culture. He's also about to launch a brand new podcast called Junk Filter. Look, everybody, it's Jesse Hawkin. Hey, Jesse. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hi, Jesse. Good to talk to you. Hello. Nice to talk to you, too. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to hear a bit about your exciting new podcast soon. But first, mm-hmm. there was, it was it's been quite a weekend, I think we'll all agree. A bit of a wild weekend. Everything kind of changed on the weekend. Yeah. The record scratch moment, uh, of course, we're talking about. Um, now, we are all recording in Canada, but the, the great foreign election that happened in the United States over the weekend, uh, President Joe Biden... Uh, is was elected basically. There's no other way to say it. Now, when did mm-hmm. you when did you guys feel like okay, Biden uh, Biden got this one? It took a couple of days for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't start feeling better about Biden's chances until about Thursday. That's when all the votes started coming in from Georgia and, and Pennsylvania in the in the big cities, and it started to look like whatever Trump's plan was isn't going to work. Right. What I figured, what I think Trump was, was was trying to do was he was trying to hold back the mail-in votes from being counted to in some states to create this optic on the night of the election that he was winning, and I think he expected the media to fall in line with that, and they kind of didn't this time. The um, I guess the the exciting news is that America and the world, I guess, are going to have uh. 
an Irish Catholic president. And as I know, James, you are of Irish extraction. I am uh, also half Irish. Jesse, do you have any uh, Irish blood in you? Are you excited for this? Oh, very much. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, my mom's side of the family is completely Irish. Pretty much. But yeah, nice. we, we, uh, we're the Kellys and my middle name is Dara with an D-A-R-R-A-G-H. Oh my, you must've been levitating off the ground. Oh yeah. No. Are you kidding? Did you hear about the good, uh, Biden burn that he did? Uh, the BBC wanted to talk to him and they said, uh, <laughs> Mr. Biden, do you have a word for the BBC? And he said, BBC, I'm Irish. <laughs> That's Biden said that? Yeah, good for him. <laughs> and then he firebombed the BBC. Cool. <laughs> well, are you following all these people in, 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 in Ireland who are freaking out about the Catholic, prim, uh, the Catholic president? Right, yes. I saw that in, in his ancestors' hometown, there was like celebrations. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, but well, there's a couple of peop- Looney Tunes in Britain and in Ireland who are very upset with his anti-British uh, stance. Oh. They think that he's like an IRA guy. Uh, <laughs> I think like a, a Biden administration is going to, what, like bomb Northern Ireland <laughs> or like yeah. at least half of it. They're, um, are they the only people who think Joe Biden is controversial in any way, <laughs> any direction? Yeah. I know they're they're like freaking out that he's this extreme Catholic. <laughs> I, like he's they're worried that he's gonna like um, yeah like start start the troubles up again. Well, he does have that Bobby Sands chest tattoo that he's always flashing around, <laughs> and uh, his allegiances are you know couldn't be clearer. <laughs> and actually, um, in his acceptance speech, I don't know if you could see he had a little laptop on his desk there, and if you zoomed in, you could see he was. Uh, he was watching uh, in the name of the father, the Daniel Day Lewis movie, <laughs> on his on his little on Netflix. So I heard that uh, his iPod is only music by the Chieftains, <laughs> and he calls it his Opod um, for for obvious reasons. <laughs> now I think because of Biden's Catholic faith, um, they should make some changes around the White House, if not Washington D.C. Uh, as a whole. For instance, I think they should rename the Oval Office something like uh, Our Lady of the Blessed Sacrament Hall. Mm-hmm. Well, Catholics have been made to feel excluded from American culture for so long. Mm-hmm. It would be great to sort of just bring a little bit of the you know Holy See back into Washington, D.C. They could change the name of the city to Washington D. Holy See. <laughs> and they should relocate the Pope... To Washington, D.C. Isn't that a fear? Like, that was a fear that people had, like, when JFK was running, that, like, he wouldn't be loyal to America. He would be loyal to the Vatican. Yes. That is such a funny idea. Absolutely. And it'd be so funny if Biden was loyal to the Pope over America. That's pretty funny. I think I remember sort of an anti-Semitic tr- thing going around when Lieberman was, was going to be vice president, that would he be loyal to Israel? Like, I, I feel I heard that as, yeah. like, a narrative. So, but uh, that's a deeper cut to worry about that he'd be loyal to the interests of Ireland. Not as yeah. well. Obama of, uh, was supposedly. What's that? Obama was supposedly, uh, you know, in league with Islam or whatever. Right. Yes. <laughs> that's funny. Hmm. Do you think you mentioned the chieftains, Jesse? Do you think he will go with a full Irish uh, inauguration slate of entertainers? Like, um, will Liam Neeson like do a little monologue or something, or the cores? He could do the monologue from Taken. 
That would be. Fantastic. Do you think that? Do you think that he could conceivably invite Bono and the Edge to the inaugural? I mean, if he doesn't, he's missing out on a big opportunity. But under no circumstances do I want to see Larry Mullen Jr. up on that stage. No, or Adam Clayton. Mrs. Brown's boys are another group of entertainers I'd love to see at the inauguration. They would be perfect to perform at the inauguration. Mike the, introduced you know, me to that. I had never seen it before, but if you if you haven't heard of Mrs. Brown's Boys, it's a it's a, a an over the top sitcom <laughs> in England, right? Or is it from Ireland with a man dressed up as an old lady? So, it's an all Irish cast. It's an Irish sitcom, but they film it in Scotland. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I just assumed Mrs. Brown's Boys was a like a play at the Edinburgh Fringe that became a, a TV show. I think it like literally was, yeah. Um it feels like that kind of thing. Maybe not the Edinburgh Fringe, maybe like the, you know, Liver Liverpool Fringe or something. <laughs> Direct from the Liverpool Fringe. Yeah. But it's uh it is the most popular British sitcom. And it's like pretty much unknown in North America because we only get like the the good Britcoms over here, and uh, we don't. Yeah. I mean, it does air on like PBS or something, but yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure I contacted you immediately. I I, I stopped into a Walmart a couple of weeks ago and looking for adapters, yes. <laughs> and I ran across an entire rack of all these Mrs. Brown's Boys box sets <laughs> and and uh, specials. El Dorado, my goodness. See, which is confusing to me because I'm a, I live in a very Portuguese neighborhood, and I started wondering whether there's like a huge Mrs. Brown's Boys uh, <laughs> devotion in in amongst the people of the Azores, like they they that the Walmart in Dufferin Mall brought in some Mrs. Brown's Boys uh, discs because they were trying to keep up with demand. I missed a bit of that uh, last bit of a, that conversation because I was googling uh, what the Taken speech was. Uh, just let you guys know. <laughs> oh, so but imagine, can, will you deliver some of it, James? Like if I set ever, it up? Have you guys seen Taken? Have you I guys have. actually watched Taken? It's incredible. It is good. Okay. I don't know if I can do Liam's It's like voice. a new genre of like senior citizen action movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he's really like, this is his thing now. Like revenge. Uh, it's kind of like, well, I don't know, uh, Clint Eastwood, young, uh, but a bit younger, you know, when he starts doing like a, a guy, he's not going to take any more shit. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll go on on stage at the inauguration, Liam Neeson, and just talk about how he used to stalk the streets with with a stick, trying yeah. to be racist. <laughs> oh right, right. That was a remember misstep. when that happened. I, Liam yeah. seems oh, cool, yeah, but that yeah. was a misstep. He went through this weird, uh, you know, psychic break or something, and he went out looking for trouble one night. Yes, but yeah, yeah. He, and he, it's bad Maybe enough that that happened, that. and you know. But it saying in an interview casually is weird. He was promoting his latest movie at the time too. Hey, I'm sure know, they were thrilled, the producers. Liam, uh, next interview, maybe don't uh, uh, bring up that you tried to be a racist uh, vigilante. It's uh, it's not the kind of image we want for this movie. No good. Liam, Taxi Driver is supposed to be a cautionary tale, not a roadmap <laughs> or a blueprint. Okay, here's my attempt at the Taken speech. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the inauguration of President Joseph H. Biden. And now, please welcome to the stage, Liam Neeson. Thank you, Joe. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have 
are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. Not bad. Very good. Please welcome your next act, Little Nas X. <laughs> that would Can be I amazing. You guys, um, do you think there's any chance... Because Trump hasn't conceded, and he hasn't had his usual bombast about this, but he does tweet sort of in a lower key vibe that he's going to fight it. Like, do you think do you think there's any chance it could go anywhere? No way. No. It'd be bananas All of his, if it went anywhere. I have been laughing about the Four Seasons total landscaping <laughs> debacle <laughs> for days now. Like, I cannot believe that that happened. It seems like this elaborate prank, like a Nathan Fielder prank, except they did it to themselves. <laughs> and is the fact that they went through with it, is it kind of like someone who's like, no, I didn't, I didn't shit my pants. I meant, I meant to look like this. It's pudding. <laughs> yeah. I said They have pudding. no shame. They have no shame. Yeah, they're, they're pretending that, that they, they meant to do that. And there was a porn shop across the street. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mike, you I were saying where, sorry, where Rudy went for lunch after the press conference. <laughs> he went for lunch. Mike, you were saying you're surprised that the Four Seasons landscape company didn't go. Oh no, no, you guys shouldn't have your uh, your thing here. We're not the hotel. I assume what was going on was Trump was like blowing his stack, telling the staff book the Four Seasons, and they Googled it frantically. <laughs> <laughs> without t- typing the entire uh, name of the hotel, the word hotel in the Google search and uh, quickly arranged this press conference because either that or they tried the Four Seasons and it was full. So they had to use Four Seasons landscaping. I have no idea. I wonder if they but also it just reeked of desperation. I wonder if they also accidentally called up like Frankie Valley and he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Turns out Frankie Valley is a MAGA guy. <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised. Or they're, they're having it in the four. They're having it in the four seasons, so they like do a magic school bus and go into Frankie Valley. <laughs> I love it. But you know what's crazy? No, no. what's crazy? It, it's Biden won, but it was closer than I feel like most people think it would have been. And yeah. I think it kind of shows that if if COVID didn't happen, I mean, I feel like. Trump would have totally won. No? Yeah, possibly. Yeah. And the other thing is that he could have used the virus to his his advantage. Like he could have started selling branded mega masks in May in March or April. Right. He could have made so much money. He could have turned it into uh, you know, the fight against the virus like he could be Winston Churchill or whatever. You're so right. But instead he chose this weird <laughs> position of pretending it wasn't happening and Telling himself that, you know, well, I think of myself as a cheerleader for the country, you know, like yeah. he I wanted to keep people's hopes up. But he's like telling somebody who's dying in the hospital that you're going to be all right. I mean, it's yeah. just to make himself feel better. Yeah. Instead of instead of doing anything, just uh, dancing to the village people and um, going on strange uh, tirades about Luciano Pavarotti in the final days. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the thing you want to do when you're behind in the polls is have a rally and tell all the people in the crowd all about the, the ultimate diva, Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> <laughs> when, like, will that speech make it There's, into, like, you a... Know, you have no idea. 
people people have these stereotypes of what MAGA people are like. Perhaps they like listening to La Traviata, and they love mm-hmm. Luciano Pavarotti. <laughs> hey, Maybe they're not know, into like NASCAR. Yeah, I mean, and Trump knows this. Like white men without college degrees, blue collar guys, <laughs> they love Luciano Pavarotti. They love his recordings. Never, they love like don't own a passport. Have never like yeah. traveled at all. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, they're huge yeah. into it. You don't need to travel if you've got Pavarotti albums. You can just put on, put a record on, and pretend that you're in Italy. Yeah, you um, can be walking the we boulevards talking- of Rome in your mind. <laughs> we were talking before Jesse that that uh, Pav- Pavarotti was was in a movie. You were telling us about absolutely. <laughs> Pavarotti was in Pavarotti was the star of a movie. They tried to make a movie star out of him in the in like 1982 or something, or 83, called Yes, Giorgio. Now, Luciano Pavarotti in his motion picture debut. Yes, Giorgio. And he starred as an opera singer who, uh, you know, a woman falls in love with him. Uh, they don't. They're very different. They're from two different worlds at first, of course. But you know, <laughs> they grow to they grow together to feel feelings for one another, and you know, love conquers all. But um, yeah, it was Luciano's debut as a performer, and most of the I, I've watched it on pay TV when I was a teenager, so my memories are a little dim. But he basically stammers through all his dialogue. He's just like. Um, <laughs> He's like starring in a proof of life film. You know, he doesn't look like he wants to be there. <laughs> the, and there's zero chemistry between him and Catherine Harold, who plays uh, his assistant or who falls in love with him. She used to be Albert Brooks's girlfriend. So, you know, that's a huge step down. Oh, boy. Down to Luciano Pavarotti. So was this movie the sort of cool as ice of its day, the Vanilla Ice uh, vehicle, where they thought like, hey, you know, we got Luciano Pavarotti. He's a good looking guy. Women love him. Let's put him in a, a rom-com and, and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, it was the go-go 80s. People were willing to try any ideas. And, you know, a Luciano Pavarotti as a matinee idol. <laughs> it didn't, or as a rom-com star. Sort of he, the, Hugh, the Hugh Grant of the early 80s. <laughs> Well, or maybe sort of like a Dudley Moore kind of uh, mm. un- unlikely sex symbol. Right. right. I'm looking at Google images of Yes, Giorgio, and it's very funny seeing big old Pavarotti acting in a scene, clearly. It's very weird. Now, can I just, I'm on the Wikipedia page here, as I assume you are, James, and I, I'm just, uh, here's some facts about Yes, Giorgio. The film had a budget of $19 million, and it recouped... million at the box office, and... Is that U.S. or worldwide? (laughs) I assume it's worldwide. (laughs) Um, And also, um, Siskel and Ebert selected Yes, Giorgio as one of the worst films of the year in a 1982 episode of At the Movies. So, um, yikes. Well, Siskel and Ebert are notoriously hard markers. They don't like... They never liked any movies, really. So I'm I'm not surprised that they didn't like Yes, Giorgio. Right. Well, the it, movie um, could have started the Yes, Giorgio cinematic universe if it were made today. <laughs> I wonder who would be the like the current Giorgio, because um, obviously Pavarotti he's no longer with us, and I assume the Canadian they tenors, Canadian tenors, or the like one who got kicked out for singing "All Lives Matter." <laughs> yeah. I love the Toronto Sun 
whenever an athlete would kneel during the national anthem, a Joe Warmington type would be like, that's a disgrace. That is disgraceful. This does not belong in the, on the sports field. Sports is supposed to be about competition, not politics. But then during the one of the games in Toronto, the Toronto, what are they called? The Canadian tenors? I think the they Toronto were tenors. The I don't Canadian tenors. And yeah, yeah. Sort of like Canada's version of the three tenors, but yeah, <laughs> even more a very low rent version. So they sang the anthem at a Raptors game or something, and one of them just changed the words of the national anthem. Yeah, and Joe Warmington defended him for uh, you know speaking from the heart because this guy yeah, he it, changed. It was the- like this. It was like with glowing hearts, all lives matter. Like he did yeah. something like that. But he people say he didn't really get like he was stupid and he didn't. He didn't really realize the racial connotations. That's what they all say. Well, true. They know what they're doing. True. Speaking, so we were talking about Luciano Pavarotti. You know, without a doubt, people on all sides of the political spectrum can agree. He was one of the, the most famous Italians who ever lived. And recently, uh, the Italian-American actress Alyssa Milano tweeted that she was happy because Dr. Jill Biden will make history as, as the first Italian first lady. And Jesse, I think you, t- you told me about this, I think. And I had no idea Dr. Jill Biden um, came from that part of the world. No, she's actually Italian. She, her real name is Dr. Giuliana Di, Di Benedetto or something. I can't remember. Huh. She took an American name when she uh, moved to the when her family came over to Ellis Island, uh, they gave her a new name, and 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 they also made her a doctor. <laughs> so now she she got a doctorate when she arrived at Ellis Island. <laughs> a new identity, blonde. She dyed her hair blonde, and then she married an Irishman. They assigned like most her Italian, like yeah. many Italian women. She married an Irishman. <laughs> And uh, she'll make history as the first, I guess, part Italian um, first lady of a president who's in the final stages of uh, Alzheimer's. So that's, you know, <laughs> a huge She first. will also be America's Nana, too. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> Nona. Like, oh, I'm sorry, America's Nona. Um, right. You know, she'll <laughs> s- serve up lasagna to guests when they arrive at the uh, White House. I think she should embrace that and like dress in all black, even though her husband is still alive, technically, uh, but cover all of the White House furniture in like plastic wrap and just always be saying the rosary. I think that'd be a, a, a fun change from Melania. I just, I just had an idea for the inauguration. Oh. What if she could get Joe, what if she could get Joe Dulce to come back to showbiz to do Shut Up a You Face, his novelty <laughs> hit from the 80s, at the inauguration, and that would, like, thrill all of America's Italian-American population. That's a, that's a, a huge song in the 80s with my Italian friends, Shut Up a You Face. Do you guys remember that? I, yes. What's the matter me? What's the matter you? What is it? Why you, why you look so you gotta, sad? You know, you gotta laugh. I mean, it, it's not racist, that song. I mean, because that's what Italians are like. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand for the performance of What's or uh, uh, Shut Up in Your Face. Shut Up in Your Face. What do you think you do? Why you look so sad? It's not so bad. It's a nicer place. I shut up in your face. 
That's my mom. I, I have to be honest. I don't remember I Shut Up With Your Face. I remember the East Side Mario's theme. <laughs> now, James, that's just stereotypical, what you're doing. Oh, you know? This was a real I don't song. even know if Joe Dulce is still with us. He may well, have retired on all that Shut Up With Your Face money. If they give his dead body whatever drugs they gave Trump when he had corona, I'm sure they could get him to perform for at you least three minutes. That? Man, I thought Trump was going to die. Yeah, no, but then he, but then have you guys seen the movie Bigger Than Life? No. Uh, James Mason. It's an incredible movie from the yeah. 50s that you have to see where James Mason's playing this overworked, uh, underpaid. He's got several <laughs> jobs. He's, but he's also feeling, uh, you know, unhealthy, like there's something the matter with him. And his doctor prescribes him with steroids, a treatment of steroids. That makes him feel better, but what it does is he gets hooked on the steroids, and then he turns into a psychopath. Ooh. And all I could think of with Trump, you know, somehow <laughs> being pumped up with these like crazy experimental steroids, that he was just going to turn into James Mason in Bigger Than Life and start tormenting <laughs> his children. And like when he got in that car and went riding around the hospital while he was still sick, that's like the kind of thing James Mason would have done in Bigger Than Life. That's Come on, kids! Get in the car. <laughs> Get in the car. You know, it's like so good. This is the and first was, time and, but, I've heard anyone compare Donald Trump to James Mason, but I love it. <laughs> it's fun to stay at the YMCA. You can, <laughs> Come on, you can get yourself clean. You can have a good meal. <laughs> Young man, are you listening to me? <laughs> um, there was a. A tweet I saw uh, today from Mayor Pete Buttigieg, uh, oh, who was encouraged. Uh, it really struck me as as insane, and I can't, I I just can't relate at all to this like way of thinking. He was basically telling um, Biden voters to reach out to disappointed Trump voters to like show empathy and love and like tell them that you still care about them and that you know politics aside. You still love them and want to be friends with them. And I, that just seems like so psychotic because that That's would never happen on the other end. No, it's like it would be like, why don't instead of being mad at your hostage, uh, you know, the people that took <laughs> you hostage, have you ever tried to sort of understand where they're coming from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they're lunatics and they would kill you if they had the chance. But like and they would everything that all these republicans are freaking out about it's it's been very interesting to watch them suddenly turning into snowflakes i mean we know that they're already snowflakes but like they're using words <laughs> like toxic to describe the people who are yelling at them and and uh <laughs> i feel no sympathy for them yeah it's interesting i noticed like it felt like some right wing guys were like taking a couple days to recalibrate i i noticed like i um, I looked at Ben Shapiro's, uh, Ben Shapiro, his uh, Twitter account, and it felt pretty quiet for a couple of days. I almost felt like he was trying to strategize, like, how do I approach this this particular situation with Trump not conceding? And yeah, it's very like, like, here's one of his tweets. Uh, I'm sure that Democrats are looking forward to the healing and reconciliation with the millions of Americans they think are racist, sexist, homophobic bigots. You know what I mean? Like. He's, it is sort of a snowflakey zone they've gone into. Yeah, like, first of all, where's the lie? I mean, that's who they are. <laughs> yeah. They just don't like to be called it. But they don't want to change anything. And the other thing about all this, why can't we all get along stuff, is like, you're on the back foot 
if you're on the left, because they just want you to agree with them, but they're not going to give you any concessions. Right. It's true. And also imagine like, what is the, what does that phone call sound like? Like a a kid being like, Hey grandpa, I love you. And the grandpa is like, you're a pedophile controlled by Venezuela. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. Biden's a clone. (laughs) Trying to understand grandpa. You know, he could be right. Tom Hanks could have been uh, executed by a firing squad and replaced with a hologram. <laughs> you know, grandpa might be onto something. Is there like a part of you guys that obviously, you know, you're relieved. You're so relieved that it, it seems like it's gone pretty smoothly and, you know, it wasn't too, wasn't too crazy, the whole election process. But there's like a part of me that was like ready for like, it's going to get crazy. It's going to be wild, like civil war. And then Mm -hmm. it's not. And then, like, of course, I'm so happy that that's the case. But then there's, like, a tiny part of you that's like, oh, I guess that's (laughs) it, huh? No. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, it was a bit of a letdown. You know the great great Kevin Sorbo? Absolutely. Of TV's Hercules, who's a big Mm right-winger. He said... I, th- I think it was him. I'd like to think it was him anyway. He said something like, well, did you notice that uh, 70 million Americans didn't get their way in the election and there wasn't one riot, one torn down city? Makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, it makes me think that you guys are all talk and no action. You're just, you know, like there, t- there are psychos out there, but like they're not going to mobilize. Jesse, just really quickly, have you ever seen the, the Kevin Sorbo series Andromeda? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's on like Crave in Canada and I watched the first episode. I don't know why. It's kind of like a a a bad Star Trek kind of style and he's the captain. Anyway, if you're ever like drunk and flipping around TV, flip <laughs> it on. It's insanely bad. Well, I'll tell you a little funny story. When I worked for the Toronto Film Festival, one of my gigs there in the springs was to assist with um, in the programming department because they got all these unsolicited. uh, Well, they would, uh, they would have submissions, right? Open submissions. And so you got a lot of uh, films from, you know, filmmaker, unknown filmmakers and low budget filmmakers. And also uh, people who just submit their movie to any single film festival. Like they just send them to each and every film festival, even if like, they're not appropriate for the festival or have no hope of getting into the festival. <laughs> and so one of my jobs there was to go through these films and watch them and direct anything of note or of interest to programmers. But every year there was at least one Christian movie with Kevin Sorbo in it. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of nice to see this sort of alternate universe version of Kevin Sorbo, like the films that he stars in that no one will see outside of maybe a cast and crew screening and, and uh, film festival submission departments. That's like, because they're not good enough to be seen or, you know, not good enough to charge money for. Did you never, as a joke, just like say, this one's going to the top of the pile. Let's have this as the opening yeah. night gala send this, Tiff. Send this right <laughs> off. Send this right off to Cameron Bailey. He needs to see this incredible <laughs> performance from Kevin Sorbo as this teacher who doesn't believe in God, but then suddenly he has this moment where, you know, the Lord touches him you know <laughs> yeah it's, but like why would you spend 150 dollars on on sending a kevin sorbo movie off to uh, be, be uh accepted for the toronto film festival like what were you thinking <laughs> yeah, yeah the, usually the toronto international film festival is really known for kind of like this sort of a homespun <laughs> yeah. christian uh, feel-good movies 
It's like the galas this year include the latest works by Michael Haneke and uh, <laughs> yeah. Claire Denis, plus the new Kevin Sorbo movie where he yeah. plays a teacher. And uh, Kirk Cameron's new film, uh, In God's Loving Arms. Actually, there was a Kirk Cameron movie I've been I've always meant to see called Fireproof. That the, if you look up the trailer, oh, yeah. have you seen that trailer? Very funny. He's a yeah, fireman I, I who's did. like having very tame issues with his wife and they're thinking about divorce, but then he's sort of convinced that it is wrong to get a divorce. And so I guess they don't. But I <laughs> Do you think he it. made that movie because his wife was threatening to divorce him? <laughs> uh, Honey, watch my new movie, uh, Fireproof, or what? what is it called? I believe it was Fireproof. <laughs> <laughs> Those are his underwear on their special nights together. <laughs> So, Jesse, we're having you on because uh, you are about to launch a brand new podcast called Junk Filter. Do you want to uh, tell us and the listeners, what, what the hell is Junk Filter? Well, Junk Filter is an idea that I had because during this entire pandemic, we've all been in our homes and we've all been uh, worrying about what's going on and we're all slightly afraid. But the, one of the two things that have been sustaining me through this are listening to very, very funny and intelligent people with their podcasts and the very, very funny and intelligent people that I follow on what I call politics, Twitter, and film Twitter. And there are just so many interesting and witty people that I've engaged with that I thought it would be a good idea to start a show where I sort of reach out to some of the people that, you know, I, that I clown around with in Twitter and right. see if we can hang out together and talk about the stuff that we talk about already, which is mostly film and music and politics and jokes with an eye towards, uh, you know, touching base with each other about all the extremely online people that we are amused by and the, the recurring fights that keep coming back up again that, you know, <laughs> you think that you've already settled all these disputes and then they come roaring back and we start making jokes Right. And I thought it would be very, very nice to actually uh, try to create a little human contact and distribute to, to you know, have this sort of communication uh, angle. And I think that it, it's worth doing. Right. And there are all sorts of people that I've, uh, that I've been in touch with about doing it. Now, I know, and I know. I've, I, I and I've also been feeling like being creative. That's a good feeling to have. And let me tell you. Once you start living the podcaster lifestyle, you'll you'll wonder how you ever existed without it. You know, you're going to start um, being noticed on the street. You're going to start uh, looking better. Your skin will look nicer. It's it's it's. I can't recommend it enough. I know you've got some amazing guests lined up. I'm not gonna. I'm not allowed to spill the beans, but uh, they're very exciting. People should definitely check out the show and and the Patreon. But can you give an example of like um, some of the things I know? Uh, you have like a music themed one that you're coming out of the gate with. Yeah, I'll tell you what's the one that's coming. I'm hoping to put it out this week, and it's my good friend Marker Starling, the Toronto musician. We knew each, we've known each other since we were teenagers, and one of the bonding agents of our friendship was our mutual love of the music of Richard Harris, <laughs> who's best known for MacArthur Park, right. but is less known for all these very, very strange and ambitious concept albums that he did with, among others, Jimmy Webb, the great songwriter. 
and they are concept albums that are very interesting to look back at now. They're sometimes they're quite beautiful and very powerful and also nuts, completely nuts. And we have always sort of delighted in in our friendship with our, our love of Richard Harris because it's like um, showmanship, uh, the kind of showmanship that you don't really see on display anymore. Like we don't have actors today who are willing to like put out like several like albums of them belting out very deeply felt uh, emotions and stuff. And when they should be actually working on their acting career, but instead they're like out there, like recording albums that are supposed to be like mission statements or, you know, personal statements. But we had a very, very funny conversation about Richard Harris and we know his work inside and out. So we walk the listener through the beginning, (laughs) which was MacArthur Park all the way to the end where he was doing crazy spoken word poetry albums that's his story. His like weird side career as a musician is wild because he was like this middle-aged Irish guy suddenly who had been known in films who started becoming like singing these crazy psychedelic songs like out of nowhere, which is like, what do we have today? Yeah. We have people like he was like the he was like the oldest hippie. Yeah. Like in the swinging <laughs> in the sort of the 60s cool Brits in L.A. scene. Right. I know he's Irish, but, you know, he was a part of that whole, you know. The, the, he would be at the party for the premiere of Point Break or Point, excuse me, he would be at the party for the premiere of Point Blank or something like that. You know, like the all the with it crowd, except right. he was 38 years old. <laughs> Did he play Altamont or am I confusing him with uh, the Grateful Dead? <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, he he didn't. I'll tell you one funny story that we did that didn't make the pod, and I was kicking myself. Can I say it here, please? So there was a story. MacArthur Park was number two on the B- Billboard chart. It was a massive hit, and it actually changed the parameters of top forty radio because all songs on the radio were two minutes, maybe three minutes, but no more than that. But MacArthur Park is about seven and a half. And it was a massive hit despite being so long. It freaked out all these radio programmers because they felt that it was going to destroy the music industry if little singles had become massive, like, you know, epics. Right. Um, but so MacArthur Park was this gigantic hit. And Richard Harris went on tour with, with the song. For I think he kept playing it, at, you know, all over the place. But there was a very funny story in this Richard Harris biography, I, an unauthorized biography that I read where the band was playing like and like Harris wasn't on stage and they were like still playing the the song and Harris was not on stage it was because apparently allegedly he was backstage getting a blowjob and when he got up on the stage he was doing up his pants Where's Richard? <laughs> so I presume. So I just have this vision of him like stumbling up the stairs, zipping up his fly, and then like yeah. going up to a microphone and going, "My God, this pod is melting!" It's like so, cur- like so. That's the rock star lifestyle. He but, seems you know, uh, strangely, was, uh, strangely depleted of energy. Harris's marriage ended during his big uh, music phase as well. Oh, and all the pain that he was feeling in that is all poured into this music. Um, I think it's a very, very funny conversation, and it gives you an idea of the kind of stuff that I want to explore to find 
uh, you know, <laughs> like-minded people who are very, very interested in a certain topic that nobody else is interested in. Right. I suppose, like, films that are worth looking at again in the present tense, uh, incredible actors that, you know, should get more respect, or musicians. I'm open to right. all that stuff. But one of the other things we want to get into on the show is what's going on in the world on the day that we're recording um, an opportunity for us to sort of riff on the politics of the day and the things that are bugging, you know, me and my guest. Right. Um, so I just want it to be a very, very funny and, and, uh, show that will hopefully, uh, be a very entertaining, uh, and weird program. Well, I know, it's, you know, sounds great. You know everything about music and film. And I have no doubt that, that that's a bottomless well of episodes. I, I hope you do an episode about Robert Mitchum's weird uh, Calypso albums at some point. Do you, uh, yeah. you must be familiar with those. <laughs> I am. I, I, I would, my, my first instinct would be to uh, talk about Mitchum's, uh, the strange detours of his uh, career. So the Calypso is, is one, but one of my other favorite things about Robert Mitchum uh, towards the end of his uh before he retired, he starred in 1990 or something around the time of the Gulf War in a sitcom called A Family for Joe. <laughs> and I think I think that the pilot was shot on film and looked like a TV movie, but then it turned into a very short-lived sitcom where Robert Mitchum is uh, besieged by the... I think he plays a lovable vagrant who gets taken in into this suburban home, and, and it was... Uh, because it was called a family for Joe, so yeah, he plays this like guy who's down on his luck, who like becomes the paterfamilias of this weird suburban <laughs> household, and he looks like he's there under against his will. He is just so not into it, but it's so weird to see him in this sort of you know the the, yeah. the sitcom environment. It's so unfair considering who Robert Mitchum is that that's sort of what he had to do at the end. He's the most terrifying screen actor who's suddenly now supposed to be a sort of lovable grandpa to <laughs> do some Yeah, do like some kids. Mitchum at the end was just the narrator of like commercials for beef. You know, he was like, beef. <laughs> just eat it. It's beef or whatever. But, you know, he's given us so much. Have you guys seen the, the Friends of Eddie Coyle? I just you know. watched that this summer. James, you would love this movie. Robert Mitchum plays a sort of past it like a uh, low status gangster who's trying to like get out of the life before he kills him. He wants to r avoid jail and Peter Boyle's in it. Amazing. Just an amazing, sad movie. <laughs> and a, a incredible uh, sequence where he's at a Bruins game and he's drunk, drunk off his ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he actually you, looks uh, like uh, uh, like uh, sort of the hockey. Whenever I would go past Maple Leaf Gardens when a game was getting out, you always see these Robert Mitchum from Friends <laughs> of Eddie Coyle types coming out. <laughs> just just low lives. Just got tanked in the stands uh, to avoid their fate. Like you just get the sense in the scene that like yeah, Mitchum is like just doomed. <laughs> it's it's really great. It's a great um, movie. And that reminds me of, um, I hope you do an episode as well about the, the Mickey Rooney sitcom, I think from the 80s, where he suddenly, they, the premise was that he was a roommate of some college students in a dorm, and I don't think the sitcom lasted too long. But, oh, um, I, uh, 
Uh, I'd love to hear you talk about that. I can't remember the name of it. Somewhere, hey, somewhere no. on, <laughs> somewhere on video and my collection of of video crap, I have this very funny clip of um, Mickey Rooney on the Deanie Petty Show, promoting his new Stage West musical or his Stage West comedy show. <laughs> and they show this footage that you know because whenever they would have a play, they'd send a camera crew in to film you know sort of like the actors in dress doing a couple of minutes of the play for the media. And so uh, Mickey Rooney comes out and there's like a blonde with big boobs and like Mickey Rooney goes, you what? And like holds this, you know, what face for a few (laughs) seconds. And then they cut back to the audience uh, for the taping of the show. And Mickey Rooney says, he explains to the audience, the reason why there weren't many laughs was because we did that for the television cameras. (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's not the reason there were no laughs mickey i just love that he had to explain why there why he was doing this goony face and no one was clapping or laughing it was silence it was so grim (laughs) oh god i i believe anything mickey has to say i i'm looking up now so the sitcom Mickey, mickey rooney did in the early 80s was called one of the boys where he was roommates with a young dana carvey and a young Nathan Lane, and it uh, it failed quickly. Uh, is it on uh, Amazon Prime? I believe they just added it. <laughs> <laughs> After this podcast, they will definitely put it on all streaming <laughs> platforms. Excellent. Um, so, all right, so we've reached almost the end of the show, and of course, it's time for the famous and popular uh, segment called Draft Folder Disasters. No! Where we each reach into the dank, disgusting, wet recesses of our our Twitter draft folders and read a tweet that didn't quite make it to the timeline for for whatever reason. Maybe the tweet we decided wasn't very good. Maybe it was incomplete. Maybe it was just incoherent. Whatever. Here's a chance for us to read them and talk about them. And uh, Jesse, I hear that you want to, uh, to, to kick this segment off with your tweet. Thank you. Yes. Um... I have very few, I should keep, I'm going to in the future keep more of my draft tweets because sometimes I just go through them and I don't understand what I was thinking and I just erase them. (laughs) What I should be doing is holding on to them and reading them again in five years and going, wow. Um, But I found one that just made me laugh. It was on my iPad and I I haven't used my iPad as much lately, but I found that a few drafts uh, sitting in the draft folder and one of them I burst out laughing because all it said was, <laughs> is this a DM? <laughs> <laughs> now, when when would this have been from? Is this like, I guess there's no date recorded with I the think draft. It was when, I was, when I was making fun of uh, Joe Warmington a lot, that's <laughs> right. an actual, but that's an actual tweet that he sent out. He wrote a tweet once that just said, is this a DM? <laughs> It's a real so boomer I think I tech was, it was stuff. like my cover of the original classic it was my <laughs> cover version but i didn't i guess i figured it was too obscure that you know only about four people would find it funny which has of course never stopped me before on twitter <laughs> that's very funny you know there's a there was a deleted tweet from a canadian sports writer uh damien cox that went sort of got retweeted a lot and he's like you know like a 50 something year old dude and he tweeted out, okay, but if you'd rather not, that's cool. Just a selfie from right now is good. <laughs> and everyone's like, what's that meant to be? 
Hmm. And he just deleted it. Well, it sounds like he, he... Yeah. Did he delete everything or just... Uh, did he delete his account or just the tweet? No, he still has an account. And when people don't like his opinions, <laughs> they tweet us that screenshot at him. Oh, yeah. Does That's he say what like, I love about Twitter. It just You can just throw people's tweets back at them when they say something <laughs> stupid. Does he defend it by going like, I was tweeting at, I was tweeting at my wife <laughs> or something? <laughs> um, maybe I'll go next for my uh, draft Please, folder disaster. Mike. Now, um, this was from the weekend while we were waiting for the, uh, you know, all the votes to be tallied. And I was watching CNN, like many people, and I saw on the bottom of the screen that Joe Biden had reached 227 electoral college votes. So I took a screen, uh, I took a picture of my TV of just his face and it says 227. And that's one picture in the tweet. And the picture beside it is a picture of the DVD box set of the sitcom 227, where you can see Jack A. Harry and Marla Gibbs smiling. <laughs> so it's these two pictures beside each other, and I didn't tweet it. I really deliberated, though. For about 15 minutes, I was like, I'm going to send it, and then I didn't. What stopped you from pulling the trigger? I guess. <laughs> you felt a little weird. I felt that it was just a little too too basic, too where it's like... Inside see, baseball? Inside It was a little too complicated for my followers. I didn't want to make them feel bad about themselves. I also thought, thought it was just a little, like, it's the same number, kind of like a, a bit boneheaded, of mm. like, it's remi- they're, they're the same. So That's I, nice that you try to keep it basic for your followers. Yeah, yeah. James, do you want to take us home with your tweet? Oh, God, I'd love to. Um... Here's a tweet I had in my draft folder. Did you say from, treat or did you say tweet? I said tweet. Okay. If we, we will ask producer Jamie to go back and check the tape on that, but I think I said tweet. <laughs> All right. Um, my tweet was from Halloween morning, mm. and uh, I didn't tweet this. I wrote, ah, Halloween morning. Time to make a big cup of cocoa, cozy up with the family, and watch Hostel in 4K DV- HD DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I didn't tweet it. It's, nah, you it's pretty have. funny, actually. It's like a Norman Rockwell tweet. You know, I'm picturing a, you know, a family living in a house with a nice picket fence and mm. everything's cozy inside, <laughs> yeah. and you're just watching a brutal, yeah. grotesque movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're watching someone get their eyeball poked out with a spike. <laughs> Jesse, where can people find? junk filter and when is it coming out uh no hard date yet i'm okay. putting the finishing touches on on the one that i'm doing now it's quite epic okay. on richard harris and uh i don't think that all of my episodes will be this epic so i know that it's going to be worth the wait i'm hoping to drop it this week okay and you can find the the junk filter pod is our twitter handle and there's a link there for our Patreon. If you enjoy the stuff that I do and would like to help make it possible, you can certainly become a subscriber. And uh, we are planning on, I am, I'm sorry, there's no we here. I am planning <laughs> on uh, offering uh, uh, at least one, perhaps two this month bonus episodes. My goal is to do two a month that will be exclusively for patrons. Excellent. I may have to put a couple of the of the superstars that I have coming on the show behind the paywall to try and get you guys motivated. Right. But it's so, going to be very enjoyable. 
Listeners, if you want to free some of today's top stars from behind this paywall, sign up on Jesse's Patreon. Um, I'll put the link to it. And I know some of your amazing guests you have lined up. I've, I'm sworn to secrecy, but uh, they are going to be very exciting. They're better than our guests. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to hit this one out of the park, although paradoxically, my first episode is about Richard Harris's music. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it'll be like um, what's a band that had an amazing uh, debut album? What's the uh, what's the comparison here? You doing your first episode about Richard Harris is like Elvis Costello's uh, debut. My aim is true. Just knocked everyone yeah. flat yeah, on the back. Go on a hit hitting streak for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> excellent well jesse um thank you for joining us we've been trying to do this for a while and uh i hope you had some fun and um yes thank you listeners and i'll see you james oh and thank you guys thank you so much this was fun i would do it again even all right excellent thank you jesse bye guys has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar! Hello, everyone. This is Chris Locke. Thank you for allowing me to drip into your ears like some sort of sentient syrup goo from Mars. This is an invasion. I'm here to promote my new podcast, Happy Good, with Chris Locke. Subscribe to it now because it will make you feel good. It's about forgetting all the craziness, the nonsense, the stress, and we relax together and laugh. It's a silly stream of consciousness guided meditation to make you feel good, and it's on Sonar Network. Listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts or on Sonar Network, but subscribe and come along with me because it will be fun. Thank you.